The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, but not a single Chappelle Corby. Seventeen U.S. defense analysts can't trust their own president. I'm not used to thinking that the president himself or the vice president or the national security advisor or anyone else is an adversary. Senator Malcolm Roberts takes us to his happy place. And it's called the conceptual penis as a social construct. And an old woman explains where the homosexuals come from. That's what Hitler did and that's what communism did. Got the mind of the children. This is the 9pm courting disaster. You know, I'm starting to think that uh, orienting myself to the day uh, by opening Twitter and seeing what's happening is probably not the most sensible strategy because you see all the bad things. I mean, you see some amusing things too, but all the bad stuff just floods at you before you've really had a chance to get your brain around it. Last episode of this podcast, something like uh, eight weeks ago, sorry, uh, there was news of... uh, Missiles being launched by the uh, People's Democratic Republic of uh, Korea. No, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. The same thing, you know what I mean. Uh, And, you know, I thought that'd be it for a while. But no, what actually happens, what actually happens is that in the weeks between, they keep launching the fucking things. And this is not good. So people get afraid of that sort of thing. And the Americans want to kind of flex their muscles too. And so they, uh, the other day, did a an intercept test. They fired a missile from somewhere in the Pacific up into the sky thing. And then they shot another missile to intercept it and bang, yes, success. Or they showed us some videos which alleged to show that the missile launch and intercepts had both been successful. And it's, oh, yeah, you know, shove that up yourself, North Korea. But as uh, my friend uh, Martin Pfeiffer, nuclear anthro on uh, Twitter pointed out, and a few other of the strategic advisors uh, that I follow said, okay, well, that worked when it was all set up in perfect conditions and you knew when the missile was going to be launched. So try doing that when you don't know where the missile is being launched from or when it's going to happen and it's shit weather and there's a whole lot of other crap going down and people jamming your signals and and there's not just one missile but, you know, a dozen. 
that's when it really gets tested right. It's not going to work, is it? You know it's not going to work. So it's good to know that President Trump has set up a war room to deal with attacks. Oh, sorry, not to deal with attacks from North Korea, to deal with attacks from his own intelligence and law enforcement agencies in connection with his alleged links to Russia and his family's alleged links to Russia. That's what he sets up a war room for. Excellent. And at the same time that all this is happening, we've seen a congressman body slam a reporter because he doesn't like being asked questions. But that's okay. This congressman uh, has some really great views. He's he's a creationist. Uh, He believes that Noah built the ark uh, 6,000 years ago. And he built that ark, did Noah, when he was 600 years old. So who needs retirement benefits or something? And then there was the bomb in Manchester, the bomb just the other day in Kabul. Uh, Gee, only yesterday as as we do this, and more than 80 people killed were there. I I don't know the exact number. I haven't been wallowing in other people's misery. That doesn't mean I'm not concerned about people in that part of the world. But I, I really don't need to sit there with a little clicker counter in my hand and going, oh, I'm a fucking God every time someone else dies. It's a tragedy, but do we really need to to kind of do that as our first thing in the day? I, I mean, it screws your head up. There was the bomb in Baghdad too, you know, which killed a little kid in, in an ice cream parlour. That really makes you happy with the world, uh, doesn't it? And just as I did this script, I have to confess... I had to oh, yeah, um, Kabul in Afghanistan, and then the other one, Iraq. Fuck, what's the capital of Iraq? And I sort of thought about that for a while. I actually had to look up the capital of Iraq, which is Baghdad. We all know it's Baghdad. We should bloody know it's Baghdad. But there I was, like a failed game show contestant, trying to remember what was the capital of Iraq. It's Baghdad, as I think we can all agree. So all that stuff cheered me up. I mean, that's great, isn't it? And uh, then what else do we had? Oh, Portland. Portland. Two people dead because they tried to stop an asshole picking on a young woman who had the temerity to look a bit foreign or something. On uh, the Twitters, Barefoot Boomer, whoever he or she is, uh, said that we should remember that the two guys who stood up to a Nazi harassing two Muslim women and were killed for it, well, we're way, way past the the question of whether we hold a discourse with the Nazis. Uh, That person also said when we build the monument to the anti-Nazi fight, these guys' names will be first on the list. Ricky Best, age 53, and Taliesin Namkai Misha, 23. Uh, I hope I've got the pronunciations of the names right. I also wonder whether they are, in fact, the first two. I, I don't wish to detract from their heroism, but that is a very uh, American-centric 
viewpoint. Well, of course, uh, there's not going to be many jokes in this first bit, I will tell you, because I have been in a deeply serious mood because of this. But look, let's let's keep going. The WannaCry worm, uh, yeah, that's a tech thing. It was going to destroy everyone, and it hasn't really. But there you go. People within their own little bubble of of importance always think that what's happening in their world is the most important thing that's going down. Maybe it's worth reminding them that the real uh, global tragedies, the real global problems are, of course, the the things aforementioned. But uh, you know what people are like. Here in Australia, we had the whole not my debt. Oh, that's a hashtag. Hashtag not my debt thing where Centrelink, the Australian... Uh, social security organisation that uh, deals with handling all sorts of government benefits, decided uh, over the last, gee, a while now to, but uh, it's got the idea in its head that it's overpaid someone, and I won't go into the details of how it determines that, but it's basically fucked. I mean, the system just is ridiculously stupid. Uh, they will pursue a debt as low as $20 handed over to uh, an aggressive debt collecting agency, which is, in a sense, what debt collecting agencies do. So you can't really blame them. They're just following orders. Uh, yeah, that's never been a good defence, has it? So at the same time that in a badly designed system with lots of false positives – Uh, and without any attempt to check whether people may have been underpaid, and in fact the government owes them money, uh, Centrelink pursues debts down to 20 bucks from some of the poorest people in the country, whereas at the same time, uh, Senator Bob Day, who was mistakenly made a senator because he wasn't actually eligible, uh, he really need to pay back his salary as a senator and all his entitlements and so on. Some some quarter of a million dollars all up. Was it nearly half a million dollars, actually? But the government said, oh, you were acting in good faith, so don't worry about that. So with the one hand, they're chasing people owing 20 bucks. With the other hand, someone who owes nearly uh, half a million dollars well, actually, it was $200 million for him and $200 million possibly for another centre. Oh, that's all right. You, you didn't mean to rip us off. And at the same time as all that's happening, Alan Tudge, who's the minister in charge of social services or human services, we call it, Alan Tudge, who has already been tudging up the people pay- – oh, no, that's wrong. Tudge was speaking at a lunch about the future of welfare, a $300 a head lunch – Uh, at which he said that welfare dependency is poison for the jobless. I suspect that was revealing too much about his eventual plan for dealing with the problem of the unemployed, and I do mean dealing. What else has been happening in the news? Oh, yes. Statistics came out the other day that in New South Wales, uh, or Prosecutions for drink, uh, not drink driving, but drug driving are up 300%. And you think, my God, what's happening on the roads? Until you remember that they also bought two more drug testing vans to add to the existing one. So, in fact, they've tripled the number of resources for drug testing drivers. Um, and remarkably, 
Remarkably, that's increased the number of drivers detected. You really got to spend a bit of time talking about Donald Trump, though. The number of just bizarre incidents have gotten so great um, that a few people have suggested this. We shouldn't refer to you know the Russian scandals as Russia Gate, but we should use Alago instead of Gate uh, after his uh, his his. Southern White House. So that would be Russia Alago. I think every news editor should put that in their style, bo- style uh, book from now on. Uh, I won't go into too many details uh, about Trump's victorious tour through other parts of the world, except to note that uh, the American press corps were having a big sook because during that whole time, Trump didn't do a single press conference. I think it's just so cute that American journalists think they're entitled to the president giving them press conferences. <laughs> no, kids, you're in a new world now, let me tell you. Uh, we did have the orb, uh, that glowing orb, which uh, Trump and the Saudi king, and I, I'm not sure who else, put their hands on in some sort of ritual. I love the fact that the Church of Satan, which is the real and actual verified uh, satanic organisation around, they actually tweeted out a clarification that, no, that's not a satanic ritual. I thought that was kind of cute. And uh, I did also like how the uh, the Nordic prime ministers, the prime ministers of Norway, Finland, Sweden, Denmark and Iceland, uh, did their own photograph of putting their hands not on an orb but on a soccer ball. That was classy trolling. And I think we're going to see uh, quite a bit more of that. Uh, and, of course, uh, yesterday uh, we also had the dawning of the age of Kovfefe which I will say no more of because I think uh, we've done that to death. But a serious point, <clears throat> excuse me, a serious point uh, about uh, President Trump, of course, is that he he does at least have a certain fondness for meeting with Russians. And, and look, I don't want to prejudice any inquiry that it's coming up, although I'm not an American, so really I could probably say whatever the fuck I wanted about it, but I will maintain a certain level of professionalism here. President Trump, of course, met with the Russian foreign minister and the Russian ambassador to the United States, having just sacked his own FBI director, which I think is something the Russian blokes found surprising. So many surprising things uh, and different versions of reality uh, have been coming out of uh, the White House that many of the analysts and policy people and national security people and so on and so forth in Washington, D.C. have become concerned. One of the podcasts I've been really enjoying lately comes from War on the Rocks. Now, War on the Rocks, waronthe-rocks.com, is one of the national security blogs that, that I follow. They're very good. And they have a a podcast of their own, which you kind of got to be one of their subscribers to get. But they also have another podcast, which is all female people on it. What are they? Women, they're called. 
apparently. Uh, and the three presenters are all ladies, as they refer to themselves as, ladies, uh, who all work within the blob, that that kind of fluid environment between the Pentagon and the State Department and the White House and academia and so on. You know, once you know about security or, or foreign policy or whatever and you do have security clearances, you can kind of shuffle around within that environment uh, as much as you can get jobs, basically. And all three presenters of bomb, of, of this podcast, I'll, I'll give, it, give them the joke away now. Okay, they're all fantastic women. So the female-only podcast is called Bombshell, which I think is just great. Uh, these women really know their stuff. They only have female guests on. And given that War on the Rocks is about national security and booze, hence the On the Rocks part, uh, the Bombshell podcast always starts off with, uh, once the intros happen with, well, ladies, what are we drinking this week? Well worth a listen. But a recent episode of Bombshell addressed this this question of just how difficult things have become uh, now that Trump is openly meeting with the Russians. What information can we trust coming out of the national security establishment right now? Like we, we have to assume in some way that the worst possible things have happened. In yeah, that. We haven't even talked about this Lavrov meeting, which is like the gift that keeps right. on giving to the news cycle. There's 18 different storylines that come out of one meeting in the Oval Office. Right. I mean, the, the most innocent possible interpretations, as Rada said, is that like they were completely unwitting that this was you know, not an, an intentional col- collaboration or collusion on their part. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that Russia is not having influence over our political system right now. And as we have all these crazy releases that come out at 5.30 p.m. from the New York, New York Times, Washington Post, it's easy to lose sight of that, that if I was working in the Na- National Security Council staff right now, if I was working in the Pentagon, I would be terrified wondering, like, who is influencing my day-to-day work right now that I don't know about? Because I'm, I'm used to understanding how the political cycle impacts me. I'm used to understanding that adversaries are trying to shape my thinking. I'm not used to thinking that the president himself or the vice president or the national security advisor or anyone else is an adversary. And that's freaking terrifying. Yeah, that's freaking terrifying, right? You tell us, girl, when you have, as you've just heard, someone who's used to having her view manipulated by adversaries and and now she doesn't know what's going on yet. Yeah. Be scared, be afraid, be very afraid. Happy America to you. There was a tweet the other day from Deridalicious who said, and I quote, This week I learnt that Australians learn health ed from a furry in the back of a van. I have nothing else to add. Yes, only 48 hours ago, Australians were... No, actually, it's less than that. <laughs> when is it? I don't know. Recently, we we had the terrible news that healthy Harold, the giraffe that toured schools teaching about health, was going to get the chop, which is sad because for 35 years, healthy Harold has educated children about healthy living. And as a result, no Australian aged under 40 has ever abused drugs. And I think we can be proud of that. And generations of Australians were either mourning for a lost child or or perhaps reliving long-repressed giraffe-based horrors. Because if you saw any of the pictures of uh, Healthy Harold, he did indeed travel in a van 
and and children were then led into this van, which was dark inside, uh, to to be educated about their health and how their body worked. Because one of the things in there was a visual representation of a woman with all of her skin removed. So that's good for the kiddies, for starters. So any of the pro- photographs, as I said, make this whole thing look very sinister. You know, come children, Harold will set you free. You might feel a little sting in the side of your neck, but be brave. There's nothing to worry about. And then the next morning, the government said, oh, no, 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 we won't ax healthy Harold. Everything is under control. And there was relief throughout the nation, except for people over about 45 or 50, I suppose, who went, Harold, what? What's this giraffe all about? It's a generational thing, you see. But I think it was all a test. You know, if we if we still reacted with strong emotion when being told of the taking of Harold, then that means the rest of the programming from Harold in the back of that van must still be there too, right? Waiting for the trigger word. Maybe I said the trigger word earlier and then said I won't say it again. Maybe, and if you think about this, Harold is yellow and white. The Nordic orb soccer ball was yellow and white. This cannot be a coincidence. But back to uh, a more serious matter. Well, to to Senator Pauline Hanson anyway. Australia has been caught up like much of the Western world, living in fear of the terrorisms. And Senator Pauline Hanson, uh, I think even people outside Australia know that she's pretty much an uh, unreconstructed racist. That's hard to say. Sadly, it's too easy to be. Uh, But she's been pushing the whole, ah, yes, we can't let refugees in because they're Muslim, brackets, even though not all refugees are Muslim. And... You know, all all of these Muslims are terrorists. Yes, I won't keep qualifying this, but this is how her head works. She actually bothered to turn up to a Senate committee recently, uh, and then she got to asking questions. Now, she started putting some of her, you know, we should be afraid of Muslims, we should be afraid of terrorists – to Duncan Lewis, who's head of, who's head of ASIO, the Australian Security uh, and Intelligence uh, Organisation. And for those outside the world listening, it's the direct equivalent of Britain's MI5. It's kind of like the counter-terrorism part of America's FBI or bits of Homeland Security. The American structure's quite different. But for the head of ASIO to actually turn up to estimate Senate committees and and start saying things this clearly means he was pissed off. Here is uh, Duncan Lewis uh, being interrogated by Hanson. I think his calm voice belies what he must be feeling inside. I've got to stress, Senator, this is very important. Um, ASIO does not make its inquiries or its assessments on the basis of somebody's religion. We are only interested in people who are exhibiting or offering violence. 
And to the extent that there is violent extremism, which is very frequently inspired by a warped version of Sunni Islam, uh, that's when our interests are invoked. So most of these people do follow Islam, the teachings of Islam, and that's where the radicalisation... So we've had an well, increase I can't, of radicalisation. I can't comment, on, I can't comment yeah. on how devout they are, Senator. I have no idea. Are they violent? Yes. Do you believe that um, the threat is being brought in possibly from um, Middle Eastern refugees that are coming out to Australia? I have absolutely no evidence to suggest there's a connection between refugees and, and terrorism. Is Asia concerned of, of um, women wearing the full burqa in some areas for security reasons? We've made it plain um, on a number of occasions, Senator, that we have no um, security reason to be concerned uh, about the wearing of a burqa other than the requirement for individuals to identify themselves to authorities and there are regulations in place for that. Yes, it all happens in, a, in a relative privacy, so the Muslim women do not have to uh, become immodest in the presence of a man, but another woman, uh, a female officer, assigned to that duty. All this is known. You can hear... Uh, look, I, I won't go on about that because you can hear how, uh, how uh, Mr Lewis was very very calmly trying to explain the logic and uh, Senator Hansen was, uh, of course, having none of it. Now, with the head of ASIO, who you think might know a little bit about terrorism and terrorists, saying quite clearly this is not the way of looking at it, naturally the next day the Channel 9 current affairs, and I say that very much in air quotes program, a current affair, had a story where they basically read through the rap sheets of refugees who'd committed crimes, uh, interspersed with Ray Hadley, who's a shock jock on radio, just shouting about how terrible this all was. Because what had happened here is these were cases where uh, refugees had been admitted to Australia and then there had been some sort of appeals process to try and get them chucked out, and the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, which is where you go to appeal a government administrative decision, said no, they could stay, some of them, quite naturally. There'd be being people, some people commit crimes, therefore some of these people who went through this process happened to have committed crimes. By the way, the word rap sheet is an american thing we don't call them here we just that here we just call them criminal records so what happened is that a current affair was just running through this person here's their name here's their age they came from this country they're a muslim uh, and they were committed to these crimes once they came back the administrative affairs tribunal the aat is soft on crime and in the story at the end said, yeah, the AAT responded, their response is on our website. And so, yes, I could just imagine every Channel 9 viewer at that moment, because it was like an hour or less than an hour before a major f 
rugby match started on TV. Oh yeah, yeah, Dwayne. Um, yeah, look, uh, don't worry about that last beer or the or the footy preview. I need to go over to the website and and read this document from the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. Yeah, yeah. Next up on a current affair: Why Jews cause cancer? They're a class act. Here's some statistics for you. More of these fact things. The number of the most, this is on the most recent figures available to me. I'm not sure of the date. The number of people seeking asylum who've arrived by sea to Australia since 1976, the number is 69,749. The number found to be terrorists, zero. There's some logic for you too. Then we had a wonderful bit of logic from Australia's Deputy Prime Minister, Banana B. Joyce, and I'm not quite sure where he said this. Uh, I have the quote in front of me from BuzzFeed. I didn't have the time to look up the, uh, the audio, but he said, quote, I think we've got very strong anti-terrorism laws. If people want to break the law, they'll suffer the consequences. And, you know, people coming back from engagement overseas obviously means that they were overseas trying to murder people and murdering is against the law. And if you want to go overseas and murder other people, um, well, you're an evil person. And if what you really want to do is be involved in a conflict, then join the Australian Army and do it legally. Uh, yes, Mr Joyce, I think you'll find that the last thing the Australian Army wants is out-of-control murderers. Uh, they, 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 they prefer to be a slightly more disciplined and focused organisation. Crusader Rabbit, uh, you may remember he was Prime Minister once back, uh, back in, a, in a period and then the nightmare stopped. Well, Tony Abbott, of course, is continuing to just fart around constantly, uh, offering suggestions. And his latest one is that what we really need is terror courts. We need special courts so that we can actually convict these terrorists who are currently not being convicted, uh, presumably because there isn't the evidence, it's just all feels, but uh, Abbott wants to get rid of that so that we can admit evidence that we otherwise wouldn't be able to admit. So that's that's good. We've, we've got centuries of building up a criminal justice system of a nature where dodgy evidence isn't allowed, but not for Abbott. Ah, evidence is dodgy, doesn't matter, we'll accept that. Fit him up, strangle him. Word is... This sort of idea is mild compared to what Crusader Rabbit as Prime Minister used to float in defence meetings. Uh, I've heard through various uh, tendrils of the grapevine uh, the words deranged and medieval. Apparently Crusader Rabbit isn't that poor a name for him. The thing is, Tony, we already have a terror court and her name is Margaret uh, we'll come back to her shortly. And I'd also like to give a big shout-out to Australia's favourite Attorney-General, Sen- the Honourable Senator George Soapy the Ankle Brandis QC, because the Administrative... Oh, not the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, the Migration and Refugee Tribunal. That's probably who I meant to say through that whole time, but whatever. 
Uh, the Migration and Refugee Tribunal have, of course, reversed, as we've heard, some of uh, immigration's decisions, some of the immigration minister Potato Head's decisions. So what Brandis is going to do is just sack a lot of those tribunal members. Now, there's another blow for uh, for for whoa, for democracy, freedom, and and all the other things that that we have, whatever they are. Uh, Lovely. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. Look, I've got nothing against Christians. Some of my best friends are Christians. So, (laughs) but Christian, oh yeah, I'm going to get flack for this. But... Some of my best friends are Christians, and that's great. I think it's fantastic for people to have a belief. I was educated in multiculturalism and other such things like tolerance over the years, and I think, look, if people are free to choose their own beliefs, that's fantastic. At least they're believing in something, even if I disagree with them, right? But, of course, a particular Christian by the name of Margaret Court has been in the news quite a bit. Now, I do know... We've had an awful lot of Margaret Court in the news, and, and Australians, at least some Australians, might be be sick of it. But I, I have come into possession of some audio, which I think is uh, educational is not the right thing. Um, relevant is about as close as I could get. It is relevant audio. But before I get there, uh, to set the scene, uh, Margaret Court was one of uh, Australia's Great tennis player. She holds the record for the most Grand Slam tennis tournaments ever won, which was 24 of them. She's now 74 years old and a Pentecostal minister. And she said, this is good heavens last week, that she was disappointed that Qantas, the airline, has become an active promoter for same-sex marriage. Quote, Uh, And I'm quoting uh, from a story in the Huffington Post. I believe in marriage as a union between a man and a woman, as stated in the Bible. Your statement, uh, this was Qantas' statement, leaves me no option to use other airlines where possible for my extensive travelling. That's a bit of a humble brag at the end, isn't it? My extensive travelling because I'm so goddamn important. So important, so important. Tennis Australia, who, as you might imagine, is the coordinating body for tennis in Australia, issued a brief statement, quote, As a legend of the sport, we respect Margaret Court's achievements in tennis and her unmatched playing record. Her personal views are her own and do not align with Tennis Australia's values of equality, inclusion and diversity. As I said, uh, Margaret Court is a Pentecostal minister and a chap by the name of Nicholas Butler uh, discovered that the other night uh, she had an extended interview on Vision Christian Radio, which is a Christian radio station. And uh, Nicholas Butler was so kind as to provide links to the audio on on his Facebook post, and I will have uh, the address for that on uh, the podcast website. But some he's he's sort of picked out uh, the best, uh, more air quotes, the best 
uh, sections of that interview, uh, the first of which was her response to being asked about transgender athletes and what that means for women in sport. I have uh, had letters from atheists and they say, I'm not a Christian, but I know marriage is between a man and a woman. And, uh, you know, there's very, very good people out there. They're not, they may not even believe in Christian beliefs, but they know that marriage is between a man and a woman. And, uh, you know, it's, we know that. It's a boy and a girl. Uh, I mean, when I was little, I was very much a tomboy. My mum used to say to me, you should have been a boy. I could kick the football better than anybody and play cricket. But you know what? I always knew I was a girl and I, I was conscious and I was brought up like that, and and I liked wearing shorts, but I liked wearing dresses, and and I was never any other thought was ever said. But with the literature, the bullying, the stuff that's put out today into children's minds, I tell you what: if you haven't got parents who bring you up that way, and you've got parents that don't care, and and you're hurt and offended in somebody saying something to you, or I tell you, a child can just start to think, well, maybe I am a girl when they're a boy, or maybe I'm a, a boy and I'm a girl. And, and you, your thoughts, and even medically, they're knowing now, because as a mind, it's a battlefield. And uh, that's why I wrote that book, Train Your Brain, because the mind isn't. It's all in the Bible. It's, God's got so much in there about the mind, how it affects us, affects our emotions, our feelings. And you can think, oh... I'm a boy and it'll affect your emotions and feelings and everything else. And so that's all the devil. Well, say there's a devil, but that's what Hitler did and that's what communism did. got the mind of the children. And, and it's a whole plot in our nation and in the nations of the world to get the mind of the children. Now, that's the... Uh that's actually more in response to the broader question of same-sex marriage. Uh, but she did, in this next grab, uh, get on to talking about transgendered folks in sport. Well, I think this is why you do try to prevent, because I think within America they're having a, a lot, a lot of problems. I think where uh, we had um, a woman there, transgender, came to be a man, and now, and I because I get literature, and now uh, she's uh, having, she was, when I got this, she was seven months pregnant, and she's a man. And, you know, it's just, it's just so many complications, so confusing. And uh, the, I don't think anybody or governments uh, are thinking about the future, what it is going to bring in this area. And I think, you know, you're going to have Olympics, you're going to have all different uh, sporting things where men are going to have changed a woman, want to run. Uh, we had uh, back, uh, even when I was playing, was Renee Richards uh, was a man, became a woman and wanting to, to play. Wasn't a very good player, but uh, it was just such a battle. Uh, and it, it will bring this, and this. Is, but again, we get back to the children. Uh, you know what? It it brings such confusion, and that's where a lot of it stems out of. As I said earlier, is from the mind 
not knowing what they are because when you biblically come through the word of God, you can change those thoughts. Your thoughts through Jesus Christ and through the word of God will change those feelings and emotions to who you are, what you should be and who you are in Christ. And people don't know the power of the word of the spoken word. Your faith in your life will be no higher than your mouth. If somebody says, oh, you're a little girl and you start to speak, oh, my my daddy and mummy think uh, they're actually a boy. My, uh, they think I'm a girl and they want me to be a girl. Uh, I mean, that, that starts to affect your whole life. And this is what we're bringing such confusion into the world. We'll have it in sport. They're getting it in sport right now. I mean, tennis is... Uh, full of lesbians because even when I was playing there was only a couple there but those couple that led that took young ones into parties and things and and things they just because they like to be around heroes and uh, you know what what you get at the top is often what you'll get right through that sport. This starts to get frightening uh, for me because She's basing this around Christianity and quotes, it's all in the Bible without any kind of analysis. And given that we just had the head of ASIO talking about warped versions of, of Islam, you join the dots. I don't, I don't particularly, well, she is warped, isn't she? Um, we've also had in the last few days uh, people who were playing tennis at the same period with Margaret Court and said, yeah, if she thought you were a lesbian, said some of these women, women, you were under continual harassment. What I found interesting about this interview, and there, there, there are two more brief clips, one is the fact that the presenter actually suggested that she had been chosen by God, this is Margaret Court, chosen by God to lead the fight against marriage equality. Well, thank you. I mean, I didn't uh, ask for this. I wasn't looking for it. Uh, but I somehow do believe it's a time. Uh, I know there's a great grace on it. And I know God's in it. And I just like the Church of the Nation to wake up and the, the blindness be pulled down off their eyes and over their ears to what God is really saying in this time and particularly for family, to stand for family because God is family from the beginning right through the Bible. The whole Bible's about family. Even Jesus came in through family. Everything is about the family and that is the only thing the devil is after and he uses people and we love the people but we just want this nation to be a lighthouse nation to the world that we don't need to go that way and I, I do thank you I love the fact that she said even Jesus as if Jesus is some sort of afterthought in her version of Christianity that that really struck me also the kind of jumble of ideas coming out. It's very Trump-esque, and I, I probably really shouldn't criticise that too much because she's not a young woman. Uh, but the final grab, look, I will play this because it has some amazing claims in it. Uh, the presenter put to her uh, the idea, well, she said, look, you do have LGBTI people in your church uh, because you can preach to them. We, we've got them in in our church and uh, we have two men there who are 
you know, we're young, as I said earlier, we're abused and and now, and they've been through prostitution, everything, and now they're married and got children. And uh, I know they've put a letter out there, whether the uh, the press will uh, take it from them and, and put it in the paper, because it's very, very powerful. And they're trying to also protect young people from uh, going this way because they know that it'll destroy their lives. And uh, so, you know, you, you love the people. We're there to help them to overcome. I'm not against the people. They're human beings. And 92%, uh, they say, in America uh, have either been abused in some form sexually or emotionally at an early age for them to even be this way. And, and so this, those statistics are very high. And we're to love all people. Yeah. So to sum up, and uh, yeah, I, I I sometimes don't know what to say after hearing those that jumble of ideas. Uh, Nicholas Butler, who uh, who identified those little grabs uh, for us all, and thank you, Nicholas. He summed up this as follows. One, transgender children are possessed by the devil. Two, LGBTI equality is comparable to Hitler and communism because they try to get the minds of the children. Three, people can change their sexuality or gender through Christ. Four, past lesbian tennis players have recruited girls to become lesbians. Five, LGBTI people are being manipulated by the devil to destroy families. Six, being LGBTI will destroy destroy your life and seven 92 percent of american gay people are gay due to child abuse says nicholas forgive me if i'm having a hard time detecting true respect here Hmm. i tend to agree nicholas dom knight uh of the chaser and of abc radio and things said How'd Pastor Margaret Court get exemption from 1 Timothy verse 2, I do not permit a woman to teach? Or is it okay to ignore the bits of the Bible that apply to you? Yes. The snarky platypus, uh, tatapus, the snarky platypus did uh, tweet the other day that he'd name a gay bar after Margaret Court, Margaret's Court with all the staff dressed up like Madame Brussels, but even shorter shorts. Uh, I thought there could then be a girls-only beer garden out the back called Margaret's Lady Garden. Uh, And then Jill McIlwain joined in. He's a two-glass taste uh, on Twitter. He said they could then serve a cocktail called Ladies Doubles or the Espresso Martina. I actually uh, wouldn't mind an Espresso Martina. It sounds quite a delightful drink. Speaking of uh, Christians, speaking of people with whom I do not agree, I actually agree with the question. I actually, sorry, I'm eating a pear here at the moment. It's lovely. Pears this last couple of years in Australia have been ridiculously cheap. I suppose we fly them in from Venezuela or somewhere. They're lovely. Um, I don't want to go on and on about Christianity because I do actually find that the teachings of that Jesus bloke were actually quite sensible when you stop and look at them and and often miles away from 
the kind of stuff that comes out of the mouths of people like Margaret Corp. But I digress. I have been thinking of uh, doing a series of interviews uh, in podcast form uh, with people that I don't particularly agree with just to explore, um, well, them and why they believe what they believe and why they think what they think and, and where that comes from, not in a you know, trying to trick them out or, or be rude to them, but really just to explore their thoughts a bit. Uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts would be fun. We'll get to him in a bit. Pauline Hanson's kind of been interviewed a few too many times, so we, we already know uh, where she comes from. Uh, but I think I think some uh, a bit of chemtrail would be good. Uh, I think a bit of uh, secret UFO bases would be good. That sort of thing, um, and 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 more serious questions, political questions, and so on. Big uh, because that makes it sound really bad. What I'm about to suggest, but sometime this month in June, I'm going to do a pilot episode, which I can then get you to kind of invest further in making more. Uh, and uh, Carl Sinclair, who you may remember from one of the public house forums, he was the seminarian who joined us in the first of those forums and, and was quite a lot of fun. Uh, he actually suggested we could kick off uh, this series with, with an easy question, is there a God? And I thought, yeah, right, I'll be up for that. So um, we will be recording that sometime this month of June and uh, we'll get back to you. Uh, but I will be uh, looking for more funding for that uh, a little bit later because, as you know, this podcast uh, is made possible by you, the listeners, so thank you all for your uh, subscriptions and one-off contributions. I'd like to say thank you this episode. Well, it's not a bad list, but it's eight weeks since uh, uh, since we did one. Uh, apart from all of the people who are making regular contributions, and I'll give you a big shout-out uh, soon, uh, this episode we, we heard... From the very generous Ben O'Rice, Dave Gorkroger, David King twice, Errol Cavett, Graham Freeman, Joel Michael, Yup De Witt, uh, Keith Duddy, Ken Sang. Uh, keep those trains going, young man. Purple train fan there. Michael Neal, Nicholas Fryer, Nick Andrew, Remy Mandel, uh, Simon Harris twice, and seven people who chose to remain anonymous. Thank you all for your generosity. One of those anonymous people did, in fact, send me a case of Dalesford cider uh, from the, uh, well, near Dalesford uh, in Victoria. Really nice, um, they call it handcrafted, organically grown heritage, app, all of that. It's hipster cider, sure, but it's actually really good. Uh, uh not carbonated under traditional recipes, Dalesford cider. I should be getting kind of money or at least more cider for that. I would do a more detailed review, and I was planning to do a more detailed review, um, except I drank it all. It's very nice. Uh, so if you would like to join those people uh, in being generous, go to stilgarian.com slash tip. That's stilgarian.com slash tip. Do it now. For many of you, it will have been paydays, so, you know, your wallet's full. Uh, you don't need all that money. You really don't. Stilgarian.com slash tip. You can pay by credit card or PayPal. Uh, credit card goes through Stripe. PayPal goes through PayPal. PayPal gets to me a little bit quicker, but I really don't care. Uh, if, you want to, if you're in Sydney, you can meet me with a brown envelope uh, full of cash, and I'll gladly take that from you. Uh, or um, I, I can provide you details if you want to send 
cases of cider, wine, bottles of whiskey, all that sort of thing. So, stilgarian.com slash tip. If you kind of think this podcast is a bit shit, I don't want to support that. I, I would understand. That's a fairly fair assessment. You could also imagine that a tip somehow supports my endless stream of shit posting on Twitter. Uh, in fact, yeah, alcohol does tend to do that. It beats working for a living. So stilgarian.com slash tip. Uh, baby Jesus will love you uh, and uh, possibly uh, the figures of other religions too, but let's not get carried away about that sort of thing. <laughs> Do I look like the sort of person who'd rummage through the, the pouch of a dead possum? I was actually accused of doing that the other day, which uh, really isn't very nice, I thought. Anyway, here's Nicholas Fryer, as usual, with a look through the arch window. A few nights ago, I had a terrible nightmare in which a tentacular creature, a congeries of oozing, hairy orifices and knife blades, sliced open my conscious, unanesthetized self, and sewed the severed end of my intestine to my own nose to make a sort of one-man human centipede Klein bottle. Oh, I'm sorry, were you eating? That'll wash out, I think, if you get it into soak now. Anyway, my, my head aswim with horrors. I turned on the radio to find apparently real people discussing the prospect of Peter Dutton becoming Prime Minister of Australia and I immediately wished that I was back in my dream. For anyone lucky enough to be foreign, or just happily insane, Dutton is a former Queensland policeman who has served with distinction in a number of portfolios. For example, as Shadow Minister for Finance in 2008, he was distinguished as the only frontbencher of either major party to abstain on the apology for the forced removal of Aboriginal children. In 2015, readers of Australian Doctor voted him, by some margin, the worst health minister of the last 35 years. He has, for several years now, been the minister for macho posturing and innuendo. What ultimately motivates him, I can't say, but he always puts me in mind of a man who regularly googles normal human organs, looking for self-affirmation, but finding only confusion and anger. Which compels me to ask what we might see if we were to look into the eyes of a country that would elevate such animate bongwater to the premiership. While we wait for a major party to reach that level of cynicism and contempt, others are ready to meet the needs of the people, and it would be a churlish voter indeed who complained about the breadth of choice on offer. I felt amusing about the electoral buffet now before us, an option to suit almost every political taste save for that handful, with minority interests, such as thinking and verbs. Pauline Hanson's One Nation, for example, is what you get if you leave a rural sports club in the bottom of your school bag until it goes mouldy. Its central idea is that modernity has turned out to be just as dreadful as they always knew it would, but you bloody kids just wouldn't listen, would you? The official party platform is a screaming hissy fit against a whole range of things they've only ever seen on television, like Muslims and higher education. In Senator Roberts, Queenslanders have literally elected an old man who shouts at the weather. 
One Nation voters regularly tell pollsters that they're fed up with sneering urbanites like, well, me, calling them stupid and racist, and they're just going to keep on voting for stupid racists until we stop it. If you were to ask One Nation voters to identify the clever clogs, latte slurpers that so anger them, they'd probably describe a Greens voter. Actual Green voters come in two broad groups. One half is made up of worried university students, so elite that they mostly can't afford shoes, along with their lecturers, who are urbanely trying to feed a family of five on a temporary academic contract. The rest of the party are the middle-aged former middle class who are doing everything they can to save endangered species, like measles. They can afford shoes, but they never make their kids put them on because wicked social conformity or globalist corporatism or some shit who has time for. Like the one nationalists, Greens are big on genetic purity, only for them it's not the immigrants they worry about, but the spelt pasta. The real urban elites never sneer at One Nation voters. On the contrary, they watch them very closely with the aim of calibrating their own messaging to contain just enough rejectionist nativism to capture votes without making everybody who can read think reflexively of Auschwitz. And this is on both sides of the House. The only big difference between the two major parties is that the Liberal Party still hasn't shucked its addiction to trying to abolish Medicare. They know it's bad for them, but just one more go... Oh, and the Labour Party has been a staunch and courageous champion of the rights of LGBT Australians ever since national opinion polls first showed a majority in favour of gay marriage a week ago last Wednesday. Speaking of queer Australians, I haven't had time to mention my old mate Corey Bernardi, or Jackie Lammy, who certainly wouldn't waste her time on normal human organs. Next time, perhaps, because for now I'd better wrap up. I think the wife's coming. So good luck, everyone. Keep your heads down and deny everything. There was a lovely incident on British television recently, uh, the other day, where I'm not sure whether this is BBC or Channel 4, uh, but they had a little bit of a slip-up uh, when introducing uh, the leader of the Scottish Labour Party. And we're live from the Glasgow Science Centre talking to all the party leaders north of the border. And joining us in our studio now is the leader of Scottish Labour, Labour sorry, uh, Kezia Dugdale. I like the idea of a, a separate Scottish Labour, something that's distinct and different from uh, the more southern lady parts. Uh, I could do a whole segment on what that might look like, <laughs> but... What would I know? That's not really my area of expertise. Uh, what else happened in the news this week? I've got a whole list. Ah, here we go. Sean Hannity, the uh, wind-up far-right lunatic, not Alex Jones of Infowars, but Sean Hannity on Fox, he's essentially he's been given gardening leave, as we say in Australia. Um, he's been given a holiday uh, because he's just gone a bit too berserk. There is talk of him being replaced by Julian Assange. I just just let that sink in for a while. You can sort of swap all these people in and out uh, much as you like. 
the other thing that that caught my ear was the remarkable commencement speech at Harvard University done by some bloke called Mark Zuckerberg. You may have heard of him. I've I've got a grab of oh, it's a couple of minutes. It's it's the core part of it, the bit that got quoted in all the news reports, and. How listen to this, because I think it's really nothing more than just word salad. We get that our greatest opportunities are now global. We can be the generation that ends poverty, that ends disease. And we get that our greatest challenges need global responses too. No country can fight climate change alone or prevent pandemics. Progress now requires coming together, not just as cities or nations, but also as a global community. But we live in an unstable time. There are people left behind by globalization across the whole world. And it's tough to care about people in other places when we don't first feel good about our lives here at home. There's pressure to turn inwards. This is the struggle of our time. The forces of freedom openness and global community against the forces of authoritarianism, isolationism, and nationalism, forces for the flow of knowledge, trade, and immigration against those who would slow them down. This is not a battle of nations. It is a battle of ideas. There are people in every country for more global connection, and there are good people against it. And this isn't going to be decided at the UN either. It's going to happen at the local level when enough of us feel a sense of purpose and stability in our own lives that we can start to open up and care about everyone else too. And the best way to do that is to start building local communities right now. Like, how nervous is that applause? Uh, Has he finished? Is he just having another line of coke? Uh, Is Like, what did any of those words actually mean? What was he proposing? I'm in favour of goodness and nice things. It would be better if everyone was just better too. And I love this snippet in particular. When enough of us feel a sense of purpose and stability in our own lives, that we can start to open up and care about everyone else too. What's fucking stopping you caring about other people now, you selfish cunt? What does that even mean? You know, he's worried about finding his sense of purpose. Who the hell has time to worry about their sense of purpose? The only people who have time to worry about their sense of purpose, who think about their sense of purpose, are billionaires who've got fuck all to do with their time. And oh. Most people's sense of purpose, well, they've got one. It's called feeding their family. It's called trying to make ends meet. It's trying to buy enough avocados to get a new home or something. If we all come together with a sense of purpose, then we... Oh, for fuck's sake, Zuckerberg. What 
even is the point of view. And of course that leads leads me nicely into the next segment. It's elephant stamp time. Yes, elephant stamp time. Each episode, or at least when I remember it, I award elephants and stamp oh, That's another edit there. Each episode, or when I remember at least, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And I've got two this week. One, oh no, three. I have three elephant stamps of approval. And the first one goes to gay men and their friends generally. Because we had this thing where after Donald Trump met with European leaders, the partners of said leaders had a photograph taken together. And so there's all the... Uh, the wives, girlfriends and hookers of the, the male leaders and the president of Luxembourg's husband because they're both men, because they're gay. So you get how that works? Same-sex marriage? It's a really complicated concept, Margaret. But for whatever reason, the White House put out the photograph and the caption did not include the man's name. And that kicked off, oh, what a snub, they're suppressing gay people, blah, 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 whatever. What the the outraged homosexuals and their friends did not kind of notice was that, one, how do you know that his name was left off because he's gay? You know, widen your focus a little bit. Look at the rest of the caption and you'll see that one of the women's names was spelt wrong. The names were in the wrong order, so it was really hard to work out, like it wasn't properly left to right. Melania Trump was listed twice and it said that the photograph was taken in the year 2917. So I don't think this is all about you boys. Okay, look, it's not good to say... Don't worry, it's just the White House being completely fucking incompetent again. Okay, that's not a good answer for the world generally. But I think that might be the actual answer in this case. Uh, I just think it might be. So an elephant stamp for elephant stamp for everyone who kind of jumped to that conclusion. Um The next elephant stamp inevitably is for Senator Malcolm Roberts in his endless war against reality. Uh, This week, uh, for some reason, Senator Roberts has got himself on the Senate committee that is looking at science and such like. And uh, here he was deciding to kick off uh, about the nature of peer review. The CSIRO, the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, that was our leading scientific research uh, body, at least sort of on the government side, he was having a go at them. He thinks there's some grand conspiracy and the relevant minister for science is uh, Senator Arthur Sidodinus. You'll hear him butt in uh, into Senator Roberts's astonishing Astoundingly complex question. Recently, two people in America at the Portland State University um, 
one who's a doctorate in maths and a background in physics, was so alarmed that they published through a peer review paper another hoax. And it's called The Conceptual Penis as a Social Construct. And in that, they claim that penises cause climate change. So the point I'm getting at is that that was published in a social sciences, admittedly, paper, but it has credibility because it's been peer-reviewed. So I'm very concerned about some of the peer-reviewed papers. So now we've just gone through the actual publishing of a peer-reviewed paper. You've quoted two papers. You've then jumped to a general proposition that this means every peer-reviewed paper in the world potentially is subject to some sort of potential for fraud. Senator Dennis, I did not. But this idea that we can jump from two specific, very specific papers to a general proposition about peer-reviewed scientific findings, um, we really are in a very Kafkaesque world. Senator Senadinas, you're misrepresenting what I said. And I don't know why you're doing that, but that was a misrepresentation. No, no, well, I'm saying there are clarify possibly what you mean. I'm saying there are possibly holes in the scientific peer review process, and I'm looking to see how, how CSIRO does it scientifically peer review. If you, if you gave him this is how the CSIRO does peer review, he's just not going to believe it because they're part of the conspiracy, right? Look, uh, well, I should have got the rest of that clip because there's a point at which Senator Sinodinus just goes, oh, I need a biscuit. And I can understand why. Elephant stamp of approval to Senator Malcolm Roberts, I'm sure that really just for the mirth value, we will return to him in due course. Uh, David Paris, who uh, does uh, social media and media for Senator um, uh, Scott Ludlam at the Greens, has, has tweeted that Roberts reads from his script no matter what the answer is, and it's true. He just uh, kind of plods through these long introductory questions and then, as uh, David Paris points out, quote, a witness could answer octopus to the previous question and he wouldn't waver. Quite true. The final elephant stamp will go to, um, yeah, this was, this was too easy. This was too easy, this one. Pauline Hanson again, Senator Pauline Hanson, like uh, Malcolm Roberts, she's of One Nation, or as it's now called, Pauline Hanson's One Nation, or FON. Uh, she seemed to have trouble... Uh, in the, the committee that deals with agricultural issues uh, on the concept of uh, how you slaughter a cow. It has been brought to my attention that under halal certification, these cattle are actually still li- alive when their throats are slit. So, so can you explain then yes. in halal certification what happens with a cow? All cattle halal slaughtered in Australia are stunned prior to slaughter. Well, uh, I have been advised that it is not the case. In um, in one of the slaughterhouses, the cow the cow is still alive when its throat is slit. That is not my so understanding. So that's why I'm just asking. Sure. You know about investigation into these slaughterhouses. I don't. The other the other point to make is that animals are alive when they've been stunned. It's just that they're unconscious. So um, animals will be slaughtered when they're alive, but they will have been stunned first. So they're not... They're not like you and I at the moment. They're like you and I when we've been knocked out. No, it's come from people working in the slaughter. Okay. So, yes, that's right. 
difficult concept. Animals are alive when they're slaughtered. What a world we live in. Uh, so, Senator Pauline Hanson, you take out our third and final elephant stamp for this episode. Well, that's all the for now. As usual, there's notes on the podcast webpage at stillgarian.com. And if you'd like to keep these podcasts going, or if you'd just like to keep me going and ranting on Twitter and all the stuff that I do, throw your entire wallet contents into the tip jar, stillgarian.com slash tip, stillgarian.com slash tip. The next episode of the 9pm Edict will be whatever I feel like it. Until then, I'm Stilgarian. Have a good one. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.